Hello there. Wow, it has been quite a while since I've uh, uploaded my last podcast episode. It is really good to be back. Uh, I am uh, back temporarily uh, for podcast, my podcast, Podcast Racing. And uh, with me are actually some people that have been on this podcast before. Not necessarily together, but, well, now they are. So uh, you might remember... Uh, from some of my Star Wars podcast episodes, uh, William and Tabitha, and from my Frozen hi. podcast episode, Tim and Carrie. So, hello, hello you. nerds. Hey. Yeah, how are you guys doing? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> our cat has decided to throw up. <laughs> Perfect timing. Oh, no. And, of course, uh... Sumo over here is just like looking down on him. Just like, really? This is the worst time. I'm <laughs> keeping this in the podcast. <laughs> you should. So good. Quality great. content. Uh, Zuko is the name of our dog, and he's looking down at our cat with consternation here. Uh, how could you possibly do this? They just started recording. Is the cat okay? The cat should be fine. It's, you know, standard hairball situation. Let's move All on. Right. Do you guys need time to clean it up? No. No, okay. we're, we're good. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> so, um, so uh, really quick. So today's podcast episode is we're all is a relatively uh, simple one. Uh, I I do plan on doing something more topical on my podcast relating to you know COVID and all that sometime in the future. But today I just wanted to start off with something simple, and that is ranking our top five favorite characters from the hit Nickelodeon series, Avatar The Last Airbender, ranking them from our uh, fifth favorite to our favorite ever. But before that, I'm curious. Uh, I just want to get your guys' uh, general thoughts on uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. And uh, if you want, uh, we're not going to talk about this show, but if you want uh, thoughts on The Legend of Korra. Who wants to start? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good in general. Um, enjoyable. The characters are really likable. I don't think it's as good as the first series. I think it does struggle with some of like the sequel issues that a lot of sequels do, um, such as like kind of lazy writing in some instances. And um, I don't think the character arcs are as on point. Like, I think the character arcs in, in Avatar The Last Airbender are amazing. Yeah, I think that in Korra, they just are a little more subpar, but the characters, the characters are really their strong suits. They're very likable. Yeah, and to build off of that, while I do think that Avatar The Last Airbender is has, has better writing, what I really admire about The Legend of Korra is how they've extrapolated on an amazing world, uh, how, how they took it the step further that you could tell that they wanted to with Avatar The Last Airbender. It doesn't really feel like it departed from the original uh, intent of the series. It feels like it was a natural continuation in so many ways. Now, there are some things that I would say don't feel like a natural continuation, but specifically with the exploration of the spirit world and bending um, and what, what a post-war more modern society looks like, I think they did a, a fantastic job. Mm. Tim, Carrie, do you guys want to share 
just general thoughts about Avatar or Korra or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoy Avatar more. One, because I think the Avatar themselves, Aang, is more likable character than Katara. I know, so Korra, sorry. Um, <laughs> I kind of feel like something in that were great about Avatar were kind of taken away in Korra. Um, mm. But uh, that's another topic for another day. So uh, me personally, I haven't, at the time of uh, recording this podcast, I have not seen uh, The Legend of Korra yet. Uh, I am going to definitely at some points, uh, but I, at the time of filming this, I have not seen it yet. And Avatar is one of my favorite shows, like, of all time. I love the show so much. I think it's, like, almost perfect. I think it only has maybe a couple of uh, minor issues, but really, really minor. I mean, you know, not enough to ruin the whole show. I still think it's basically perfect. Uh, I would give it basically like a 10 out of 10. I, I've rewatched the whole series like in its entirety like four times maybe. So yeah, I love it so much. And I, I get, I laugh at the same jokes. I cry at the same emotional moments. And just that, that ending, just, just spoil. So spoil, obviously spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen Avatar: The Last Airbender yet, spoilers. I mean, you should probably know. You should probably have known that before clicking on this video. But uh, yeah, but yeah, just that that final episode, how Aang defeats Fire Lord Ozai. I love this. I love what they did with that. So then you're gonna love the next series. Mm. I agree. For epic moments like that that you're talking about. Uh, Legend of Korra does it, I mean, to some extent, to a fault, they do it bigger and better. Yeah. Um, to a fault, sometimes. But I think that for people who are, like, Avatar The Last Airbender purists, like, like they're like, how dare you disrespect Avatar, uh, those people might not care as much for Legend of Korra, but I feel like if you're the kind of person who's like, yeah, bring on fan fiction, and I just love everything about the series and, and the world, and I, wanna, I would want to see where it goes next. Legend yeah. of Korra did a great job for that. Yeah, I'm that kind of person. Well, I am definitely looking forward to seeing Korra. Yeah, I just I just can't comment on it yet because I personally haven't watched it yet. All right, so now we are going to name our top five uh, favorite uh, characters, starting with our least favorite of the five uh, up to our favorite. And Before we jump into our top five, I did want to answer the question. You skipped over me and went straight to yourself. Uh, oh. in, in Sorry, uh, you go ahead. I, I just wanted to add that I, I think it's really amazing how it was one of the first shows to so significantly show what it's like both historically for a lot of different communities in the East. I mean, they show Shaolin monks, they show uh, the Chinese dynasty. I mean, all the buildings are very accurately displayed with a lot of love and care to really show appreciation for history, but then also throw in an entirely new and fascinating, like, fantasy world that is 
just going to keep your attention and keep you laughing. So that's my favorite thing about the show yeah. is that every time I was laughing and every time I was just amazed at the artwork and the, the, the love that they put on every panel. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I completely agree with you there. Like, right. I don't think I've seen anything on TV since that has shown that much work that went into making of a show. You can watch documentary series about the making of Avatar because it's such an in-depth program. I love that young and old can get into the show. And I love that even kids today are watching it on Netflix and they're creating all these memes, like all the memes about there is no war in uh, Bossing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of those memes and they're great. Yeah, but, um, but, but yeah, no, I, I think that you uh, have some very good points there, Tim. And uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I love... One, one thing, uh, before we get into our uh, ranking, just one thing I want to mention is that I have seen a uh, behind-the-scenes clip from uh, the making of Avatar. Uh, if you guys remember the uh, waterbending scroll episode when uh, uh, Aang tries to haggle for the scroll and he's like, one copper piece, two copper piece. Yeah. And, uh, there's actually a really nice behind-the-scenes moment one of the creators of Avatar, Brian Kanetsik, whatever his name is, and as he's writing the scene and he's acting it out for the animators, the directors of the episode, whatever, uh, he's actually, like, he's actually physically, like, acting out as Aang himself. Like, he's so, like, lively. And then he, he actually does the motion that we later see um, in animated form of Aang, like, what's safe? Uh, the, uh, you give me this scroll for the price of one copper piece. And he's, like, extending his arms and being all eccentric and stuff. And I and just that passion and that dedication to, you know, making the show what it is, like, from the creators, uh, Brian and Michael and just everyone involved. Just, I, I love it so much. So artfully done from the animation to the writing, to I was just recently listening to a video about the music and going into sort of the parallels and complexities of music, musical themes. And there are things that just aren't done. Like <laughs> there was so much care and thought put into this show that you, you just don't see it. Um, especially, this was a children's cartoon initially. Mm. And it's become so well loved that adults can certainly enjoy it. Um, and not feel like they're watching a kid's show by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's got themes that, that help you learn and grow as an individual, and so much artistry and beauty just embedded into every moment that you really see in the show. It's just so great. It's such a good show. It is. It really is. All right, so are you guys ready to share uh, your top five favorite uh, characters from Avatar? I'm ready. <laughs> nice. Whatever, it's still Nickelodeon. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. All right, so uh, so we're going to start with the ladies first. So uh, whichever one, one of you guys wants to start with your least favorite of the five. Well, thank you. So my first favorite 
No, Tim, no. <laughs> Harry, you go. Okay, um, my fifth favorite is Sokka. I feel like Ooh. Sokka um, is underrated right because he's not a bender. And I really like the episode where he goes and actually, like, gets his own sword made. That's cool. Uh, I thought yes. that was really cool. And I also sense. like that he's kind of the funniness that you need. I love when he drinks the cactus and it's all, like, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And, stuff. and I think that It'll he crunch, has yes. a lightheartedness to the show. Because it could be a really dark show at times. Right. Yeah. But they're like, oh, but wait, this is for kids, guys. Okay, scrap that idea. That's too dark. Let's, let's add in Sokka. <laughs> I appreciate that even without bending, he still works hard and tries to fight and be a part of the group. When, and he's probably sometimes discriminated against because he can't bend. Like... Do you mean discriminating against in the show or, or in, in the world now as we talk about him Probably as a character? Probably both. Definitely in the show, though. They do. Yeah, in the show. For sure. I think that... Which is strange, because he's going in without any true defense. He doesn't have any, any bending abilities. He should not be looked down at all, uh, down, down on at all, because he's the bravest of all of them. If you really think about it, yeah. he's the least defended, and he's the bravest of all of them. That, maybe I could say Toph is also the bravest, because she's freaking blind, but she can see, like, da Daredevil, so I don't know. I, if that I do think that bravery is his most uh, commendable attribute, though. Like, even from the first episode where you see the Fire Nation coming into the Southern Water Tribe, and it's just him alone, and this huge ship is coming in to, like, break into the walls, and he's just standing there, like, with his yeah, sword. He's like, I'm gonna defend yeah. my people! That's one thing I love about the show. It taught lessons, but not in a way that kids felt like, oh, here's the lesson for the day. You know, it's not like Sesame Street, like, let's go talk to Snuffleupagus and tell him what he did was wrong. No, it's, it's friggin', like, here's an entertaining story, here's a situation that really is happening in this world, and let's Let's treat it with respect, but let's also make sure that someone learns a lesson in each season. And it's Although I will, I will say that Appa gives off some Snuffleupagus vibes. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see a cosplay. Two good, two two people oh. in a giant suit of uh, like a Snuffleupagus Appa. That sounds up. awesome. That sounds terrifying. Is what that sounds like. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I would love to see that. Uh, all right, uh, Tabitha, or uh, Carrie, did you have any final thoughts on Sokka? No, I think that's pretty much it. Mellerby, I think, is my fifth favorite. I think that she is a really interesting character. Um, you can see that she has a lot of fire and passion um, to do what's right. And though there's not a lot of screen time for her, there's an arc like, she, as this, like, minor side character, has an arc that is easy to follow and easy to enjoy. I do really like the Freedom Fighters in general as, like, a group. But I think Smeller B is my favorite of the Freedom Fighters because she sees the hostility that's just naturally in Jet and then decides, like, well, I'm going to let Justice find him because I'm ready to find Justice the way that I see it, instead of being, like, discriminatory against all fire vendors, um, which would be easy to do in their situation, 
she decides like, no, there's a justice greater than this. Like, I'm going to go do my own thing. Um, and it's so hard to stop following people that you saw as right for so long. And especially they had like such a tight knit community. It would have been really easy to just keep following this guy, but uh, they didn't. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very well said, but I'm surprised that you said Smellerby. Like, I'll be honest. I kind of forgot about Smellerby, even though I just rewatched the series for a fourth time. And it could have yeah. really been a throwaway character, but the fact that you've got Smellerby and the rest of that crew, they came back again later on in the show, too. Right. Yeah. So you right. know that the creators cared for these characters. They weren't just throwaway characters. And I felt like there are very few characters in the show that were throwaway characters. Yeah. And some important purpose. Yeah, and I feel like the the Freedom Fighters specifically, I mean, they really mm, uh, mirror modern times, like current events that are going on right now. Mm -hmm. it really, they really mash up. But I think it's, I think one of the reasons it also sticks is that's kind of a perennial issue that things are going to keep coming back to. Um, but you see people when they have a cause and they feel like they have a, a righteous fight to fight, and then you're always going to see people who uh, break off from the extremists and say like but no in the at the end of the day they're people too and everybody deserves to be treated with respect yeah um but going back to what you were saying tim about there are no throwaway characters there's no throwaway anything really like i feel like in a lot of cartoons like even the bag that Sokka buys on a whim in the city like they carry with them for the rest of the series or yeah. when katara doesn't have her necklace it's gone until she gets it back like i mean every every little object every little person like everything even the cabbage guy he's in canon oh yeah we're gonna get to the cabbage guy yeah cabbage <laughs> guy yes i think i need to change my list spoiler he's on mine <laughs> so um tabitha did you have any final thoughts on smellerby no she's just cool underrated character <laughs> mm. all right uh tim or william do you uh, one of you guys want to go next for me number five coming in is Toph, actually um, and I debated this one and a little bit of a spoiler of my list. This is actually as close as I get to the original Team Avatar in my whole list. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Toph is as close as it gets. While I admire a lot of the characters, and obviously I, I admire Aang in a lot of ways, he's not really who I wanted to talk about mm. with this list. Um, but I, I do really appreciate Toph, and the reason that she made it in onto the tail end of my list is actually a little bit more related to Legend of Korra. I like, number one, the where we see metal bending come from and what that means for the future of bending. Like, that's really awesome to be, for anybody, I admire anyone who is so perfect and honed in their craft, that they get to break into new territory mm. where even previous masters haven't gone before. That's pretty awesome. And we see in Legend of Korra, what all becomes of that, and it's incredible. I don't know if it's a little known fact, I don't know how many people actually know it, but Toph wasn't originally supposed to be in the, sh in the show when they were writing in that character. It was actually supposed to be my favorite character, Bolin, from uh, Legend of Korra. They had him drawn out and everything, but then they decided that they wanted a Tom girl, or tomboy, rather. They wanted a tomboy character instead, and so they, they pushed Bolin 
into Legend of Korra and they wrote in Toph instead. And so I'm actually really thankful that Toph exists because I really like Bolin in Legend of Korra, where he belongs. So Where did you find this information? I've got to read this. I had actually seen it at one point before just browsing uh, uh, fan threads, like, like, um, like on fandom and stuff like that. But then also more recently, Tabitha and I watched a video of like, the little known facts that you didn't know about Avatar The Last Airbender. And it actually goes as far as to show the concept sketches for their, their earthbending uh, companion before it became Toph. Do you have any more thoughts on Toph or uh, William? No, that's good. I'm sure right, other people will talk about better. Well, I'd like to add to Toph and uh, just say that Toph is another character represented that has a disability in the show. Blindness. And they treat it with a lot of respect. But they also have some pretty good jokes. And it's not at her expense. It's at the team's expense because she's so she's so commanding of the entire presence of the team. I love the episode when they go to the library and then she's just like, you guys can go in without me. And then um, they, Katari's like, oh, you don't like to read? And she's like, oh, I've held books before, but uh, they're not, they don't really do it for me. I like when they go to the play and Toph is like, that sounds like a guy. And you'd think she'd be upset, but no, she's like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Which might actually comment on the concept of gender fluidity. She's a very forward-thinking person. Tim, so what's your uh, least favorite of your favorite five? All right, so I don't want to say it that way, man. You know, <laughs> least favorite. I'll just say number five out of the top five amazing characters I can choose from the dozens of amazing characters that are written in this stupendous show. Uh, it's, a sh it's another character that's not in the team. Uh, one could say that he definitely teamed up with them plenty of times. So later in the series, I want to say book three, I can't remember where he first appeared, uh, the character Tio, who was a paraplegic, who was living in an air nomad temple that his father found after the uh, first war began with the Fire Nation. Tio, um, wow, he was introduced, in, he was introduced in like the beginning of book one. Really? I, I, I think, mean, I mean, I pr think pretty close. Yeah. It, it was, oh. or maybe it's halfway yeah. through. Tio. The little boy with the wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely book one. Wow, more happened in book one than I thought, because I don't remember them going to the Air Nomad Temple until much later. But because I, I recall the father being used and manipulated by the Fire Nation right, to create right. all of those flying contraptions and like the, the the sky bombs. That all happened in season one. Yeah. Yep. Dang Okay, well anyway, he's one of my favorite characters because he's just so incredibly brave. He's flying around using these contraptions that his father designed for him. I mean, he's lost all mobility and it hasn't stopped him for a second. And he's not even that mad at any one nation. He's just accepted what has happened to him and he's not letting it phase him at all. And I think that's a really cool thing for kids who are watching the show and even adults to just be like I want to be like that when no matter what is coming at me it's not going to phase me I'm still going to 
I'm going to persevere. I'm going to create. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to love. And he's just a fun-loving character that never really gets darkened out by any invading force or any fire nation or any looming threat. I just really like him, and I, I feel like I wish he had been shown more in the series. Something also, that... You go ahead, William. Well, it's quick. I was just going to say it's another time, just like with talking about Toph, that I really like how uh, they're so ableist, kind of, about people with disabilities, mm -hmm. and, uh, and they give uh, people who might be wheelchair-bound or people, fans who who might be blind, I guess, they give them a hero. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah like some representation, you know? Yeah. It's wonderful. Some... I've even seen people at conventions dressed up as T.O. with their grandfather or their or their dad dressed up as, uh, you know, the inventor. <laughs> yeah. And that's fantastic. Something that I really like about uh, T.O. and Haru is that they're – kind of sim like well they're kind of similar characters but in a good way like like both um of their characters have had 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 a uh, conflict thrown at them involving their dads like Tio you know with his dad you know being forced to build stuff for a fire nation and Haru uh you know his uh, dad uh, was imprisoned on that metal ship and later he was too for earthbending but they were able to persevere and still you know stay positive and strong and all that so yeah that's something that i really admire about both tio and haru tim did you have any uh final thoughts on tio not really i just i love the representation of people who in our world a lot of people who undergo traumatic experiences like being hit by floodwaters and becoming a paraplegic it can it can decimate your life it can make you depressed and you know, I'm sure the character faced that kind of stuff and he didn't have enough screen time to really show it, but ultimately he's displayed as a character of great strength and moral fortitude to be there and oppose his father, recognize the things that he's doing is wrong, and also just have the love of life to fly in a wheelchair and fight the Fire Nation with the air nomad technology in in the war like when have you ever seen anyone with a disability as large as paraplegic have the gusto to go out and fight in a war i just i almost feel like he's not top he's not five that he's a higher list but i've got other things it's it's so hard to make this list man I'm, i guess <laughs> I'm gonna have to so far, but i'm just he's a great character and i want to see more of him i want to see more very well, very well said. And yeah, it was kind of hard for me too to make this list, but I had to pick five. And my uh, fifth favorite character on Avatar is actually Appa. Oh, I, Appa, man. I love Appa so much. Appa is definitely a fan favorite. Uh, Appa definitely like improved the show in terms of both like, not, Appa isn't just like a cute animal like sidekick. Like, Appa actually was a significant part of the plot in book two. Appa had a standalone episode. I know, it was awesome. That people, they, Nickelodeon and the writers and the creators knew how much audiences loved Appa, that they created a standalone episode for him 
when he was, you know, kidnapped by the Sandbenders and forced to be in a circus. And when he reunited with Suki, I actually, like, the very first time I saw the show, I genuinely thought that, oh, this is so great. Suki's going to lead Appa back to Aang and Ba Sing Se. But then freaking Azula shows up and it's like, no, Azula, why? Uh, just, and I just, yeah, just Appa just provided a, quite a lot of like her, uh, comic relief and uh, and just when he got the very first time I saw this show when Appa was taken it felt like a part of me broke emotionally hmm. oh absolutely yes it was a tearjerker episode and they really convey it well through Aang's you get to see his whole emotional arc uh, and they don't really hold back there. You know, we're used to seeing him as a really playful kid who can be serious sometimes. Uh, but you, they, they really let you see his unfettered emotion uh, as, he, as he really grieves. As he goes through the whole process of, like, he goes through the stages of grief. He, he hits denial. He hits anger. Like, he goes, he goes through all of it till he, till he almost finds his way up at acceptance, but then doesn't, doesn't ultimately have to, have to go there. And, right. yeah, I think that that was a, it's part of what helps you buy into all of these characters even more when you get to see very relatable emotions with each of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can tell just in that standalone episode how much Appa cares, like, for Aang, too, and how much he misses Aang as well. And, and when um, I love how uh, the, in the episode, in, um, one of the, uh, in one of the episodes right after Appa's taken, Aang is flying around in the desert. He blows on the uh, bison whistle, and he doesn't get a response. But then in the Appa standalone episode, Appa did actually, like, respond. And I, I love, like, stuff like that. My heart! I'm just remembering the scene where he's blowing the whistle, and Appa's like, it's like a dog off in the distance, like, oh, was that my master? Was yeah. that my friend? And then nothing can happen from it, because they're too far apart. Ah, oh, they're lost in the... Ah, oh, my yeah. heart. Uh, Carrie, so what's your uh, fourth favorite character? My fourth favorite character is Aang. Aang, not Ong, everyone. (laughs) I love that. One, I I love that Aang has this, like, free spirit. Like, when you first meet him, you think he's going to say something really serious. You think he's dying. You're like, oh, my God, what's happening to this kid? And then he's like, will you go penguin study with me? Like... Like, just so wonderful and joyous. And then he also has those serious moments, and he has moments where he's kind of robbed of his childhood because he has to take on these duties as being an avatar, and you see how hard it is for him, where he actually, you know, he kind of had a falling out with his friends because his friends were like, well, we don't want to play with you anymore because you're the avatar. And yeah, I guess, whole life thing. I felt so bad for him that he didn't get to play and have fun. So when he comes out of this iceberg, the first thing that he does is he has fun with someone he just met. And I think that's really cool. <laughs> and I also enjoy the fact that he always wants to find peace in a situation if it's possible. There's this moment where he's 
uh, fighting Zhao when he first learns how to firebend. And instead of fighting him, he just kind of bounces around and lets Zhao just like burn the place up and just like destroy <laughs> everything. And I appreciate at the end where he finds the solution. Everyone's like, oh, you just got to kill Ozai. You just got to kill him. He's bad. He's a bad dude. It's the right thing to do in this situation. And he's like, no, that can't be the only answer. And then you have the whole episode with the, yeah, the lion turtle. He figures out what to do. And uh, big spoilers, he takes away the firebending. And I think that was a really cool scene. I also liked that he he's still somewhat childish and naive. In that same episode where I was talking about him fighting uh, Yao, he was really impatient to learn firebending. Oh, he, yeah. he had to learn some lessons. He got cocky and he accidentally burned Katara, which actually ended up being a benefit because Katara ended up learning how to heal, so that was pretty cool. But he had to learn in that moment and he learned patience and he because he missed out on his training, he has to learn all of these elements, and it's hard for him, and sometimes he struggles, especially with, like, earthbending, but he still perseveres. Yeah, one thing one thing I like about Aang is that, uh, basically, like, Aang, uh, what I really appreciate about him taking away the firebending from the Fire Lord instead of choosing to kill him. Like, basically, like, the Air Nomads are all about, you know, peace and nonviolence and, uh, you know, not just being so quick to destroy your enemy and all that. And I really appreciate that even a hundred years later, after all the uh, airbenders have been wiped out, all the Air Nomads are gone, that, you know, through Aang uh, doing that one action of basically sparing the Fire Lord and taking away his firebending, that, you know, he still is able to keep uh, going on that tradition of peace that the uh, air uh, nomads taught him. All right, yeah. so uh, Tabitha, uh, what's your fourth favorite? King Booby! You mad genius! That is also my, it's also my fourth favorite too, so we'll probably tag team this one. Yeah. Okay. King Booby, dude! I, I mean, he's incredibly powerful and more powerful than he lets on, and I think it takes a lot of wisdom to let someone believe that you're weaker than you are. I also think that that the the whole relationship between him and Aang, and you getting to see some of Aang's childhood and some of the childishness come out of Boomy, and not coming right out and saying who he is, but making Aang figure it out, and I think he's always, like, pushing Aang in exactly the right direction. Um, like, he's the reason that he really sought out Toph as an earthbending teacher in the first place. Yeah, I, I love what he has to offer to the show. I think he's crazy and fun, and he's an incredibly powerful earthbender that is easy to underestimate because he looks like a kooky old man. <laughs> and he is a goofy old man, but he's also extremely powerful and B.A. And he's very wise. I mean, yeah. so I don't, I don't have that much to say about Boomy. I honestly just like him because I like him. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. just kind of the way it is. But also, he has a lot of wisdom when he, when he talks about the difference between, like, attacking and retreating and then, like, neutral Jing. You don't see that too much. And it's a wonderful lesson that he got to impart to Aang. Like, everything's not binary. You, you, you do get to look for the third option. 
and I, I almost feel like when we when we fast forward to Aang and dealing with uh, Fire Lord Ozai, kill him or don't kill him. Well, I mean, there's a third option. He takes away the bending. I, I feel like I feel like there's a lot of wisdom that Boomy has to offer. Right. So, Tim, what about you? What's your who's your fourth favorite? For me, it, it's the the subtleties of the moments that Aang and Boomy actually get to have to, with each other. It is the only living person that. Aang can, I think it's the only living person in the story that, like, they knew each other. So any moment of the show that had a character that reminded me of Aang being with his previous family, you know, the innocence of youth and everything, it, I just really loved the moments that Aang had with Boomy, where they would glance at each other, especially after Boomy went from being this hard-faced, like, crazed king character and then he went into that gauntlet succeeded the gauntlet and then boomy looked at him like hey my friend and like everything changed from there and there were it was i love that moment was it that too late for me to uh, as much as i love appa is it too late for me to uh, change my fifth favorite to boomy <laughs> Honestly, Appa's great, but it's probably the right answer. Boomy's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so my fourth favorite is uh, actually uh, one that was mentioned already, uh, Sokka. I love Sokka so much, and everything that Carrie said about Sokka, I agree with. Uh, I re I also really like the episode where he, you know, gets a sword from the meteor, and you get to see just how in his own way, unique and creative uh, Sokka is. And, and, I, and one aspect of the finale that I love about Sokka is that, you know, like uh, in the earlier, in book two, he's so protective of uh, Suki, a little, you know, overprotective. And, you know, but she doesn't need protection because she's a, uh, you know, she's Suki. I mean, she's awesome. And uh, she's a uh, Kiyoshi warrior. But, uh, and uh, even though Toph doesn't really need protection either, you know, like, uh, at first, you know, they bicker and stuff, you know, like, uh, Sokka and Katara both bicker with Toph, but then they get along much better towards the end. Uh, one thing I love about, you know, when they're on the Fire Nation ships, the airships, uh, while Aang is fighting with the Fire Lord, Sokka, Suki, and Toph are on board the ships, and Sokka's just so protective of tough and you know he's just doing even if it's to hurt, uh, hurting himself he's doing what he can to uh protect top uh, just like appa uh Sokka provided a lot of uh good uh comic relief but he also had death to him one thing i want to mention about that sword and about Sokka, that episode where he went in there and pretended to be fire nation and at the end of the episode, we find out that that Fire Nation man knew that he was Water Tribe, and he's like, you're not good at hiding it. You should choose another name, like Lee. There's a million Lees. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Classic. that. I love it when characters who, within the confines of a story, are viewed as the, like, the evil presence, like the enemy. Like, if you look at any military film uh, going back, to like World War II, we only ever think of Germany as like evil, like Nazis, evil. Hitler, obviously evil, right, yes. But Germany is not evil. People who would obey orders of Hitler, you know, 
that's the problem, right? So Germany is just another country. So I really liked stories which featured people being moral human beings. And the fact that he's a Fire Nation man, wasn't he a general, former general? He could have totally turned him in. I mean, he's in the heart of the Fire Nation. But no, he had compassion. He saw the humanity of the Water Tribe in Saka and allowed him to train with him and build a sword with him and have a true friendship. That I love stories like that. Carrie, who's your third favorite? We have our dog. His name is Zuko. And I love Zuko's character because he's the most dynamic. He changes the most and has more growth in the show. And I think that's really cool how he starts out at this guy and you're not supposed to like him. And he's, and then you find out his backstory that the reason he's so like, oh, I gotta get the avatar is because he just wants to be accepted by his dad. And I think that that's a beautiful thing that even when his dad hurt him, he's still still wanted to have his honor and and then he struggled with morality and he struggled with what's the right thing to do and luckily he has Iroh to kind of pull him in and be set a good example and I like that uh, he actually goes to find Iroh and break him out of prison only to realize that he already broke out of prison Man, I wrote just I am, jacked in prison. I, I love the episode where Zuko is the blue spirit and he has the mask and he actually saves Aang and lets him go. He had him and he was like... He had a code. Yeah. He's like, okay, you saved my life and go. Yeah, I, I, love, I love Zuko so much. So, uh, Tabitha, who's your third favorite? Ty Lee. I think she's cool. Really? I wait, wait. Yeah. Tylee? Do you mean wait, uh, Tylee? Do you mean oh, 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 the so gymnastic cool. one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the athletic she, one, Tylee, Tylee. Yes. She is canon in Air Nomad by Blood, which I think is really cool. Firstly, and then secondly, I just think that it's really cool that a non-bender could be so powerful. I mean, you could make the same argument for... Suki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can make the same argument for a lot of them, but I just think that she... It feels like she has bending because she's so powerful in the way that she can take people down, and she's bubbly and quirky and happy, and it ends up going off in her own way and doing what she believes in and not being bullied by Azula, which is easy to do. <laughs> and she ran away with the circus, which is freaking awesome. So I just like her because I like her mostly, but also just because I think she is very cool. Uh, she thinks she's a strong, independent woman, don't need no man, even though she likes Sokka. <laughs> so, I, I think she just thinks that Sokka's cute. I don't think that she likes yeah. him. So. Yeah, okay, but, I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, William, who's your third favorite? My third favorite goes to a whole list of characters that I just called the hilarious extras. Oh. You know, you, you got, yeah, you got your cabbage merchant. You got a foaming mouth guy. So oh, big, yeah! Big shout out. Yeah, big shout out to foaming mouth guy. He's one of my favorites. Big um, shout out to foaming mouth guy. 
honestly, I lump Momo in here, even though he's not like a minor character. I lump a lot of people in here because it really helps to capture uh, the, the essence of this show, that the show, although, you know how many people take this show so seriously? Right. Well, the show actually goes out of its way to not take itself too seriously. And I think that's something that's... Uh, more things should be able to do that well. And you get these, and, and, and the, these characters that we might consider throwaway characters are totally not. And you keep seeing them over and over again. Like Foaming Mouth Guy isn't even a one-off. You see him multiple times. Our, our favorite cabbage merchant is in like 16 episodes or something. Yeah, and I just love, again, uh, it's already been said, but the continuity of the show is fantastic. They do such a really good job of not having continuity errors, uh, though I think there are some. But And it, it allows for a bunch of inside jokes with the viewers, because yeah. like they can play off of things that have already been said, and there are really like small lines. Just realizing one like yesterday when we were watching episode, I can't remember. But they like reference back to these like little details that you wouldn't know about unless you've like been watching the whole time and really been invested in the story. And yeah, the continuity I don't think that can be underestimated because so many cartoons just like ignore previous episodes and it's just too episodic. Yep, that's what I have to say. My my third favorite character technically isn't a character. It's it's the cast of characters that that make the show feel like what it is. Mm. What about you, Tim? Who's your third favorite? Well, my third favorite character was actually Toph, and I feel like we've already discussed Toph pretty pretty well. We can move forward. So yeah, my third favorite is actually Toph as well. I just I I really love uh, just like how uh, yeah I love how tomboyish Toph gets. When Toph ended up was the only one that loved her part in a play, that was awesome. I love how she basically <laughs> invented a new form of uh, bending, metal bending. That was really awesome. And yeah, Toph is also my third favorite. Alright, so uh, Carrie, who's your second favorite? Once again, it was really, really hard to choose between these characters. I chose Iroh. I mean... He's just a wealth of knowledge. He has so many sayings. He gets himself into trouble by trying to drink tea, and then it ends up being poison. And <laughs> and then I, I love how he insults another tea, and he's just like, this is just hot leaf juice. And I love the banter with Zuko, and he's just like, isn't that all tea? <laughs> I love Iroh's respect for the spirits. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, especially with the moon spirit, he was trying to get Zhao to like not take any. He's like, you need to respect the spirits. The whole world is going to fall apart if you take this moon spirit. And he's like, ready to portray the Fire Nation. He's like, I will fight you for this. Like, I will take you down. I don't remember his exact words, but he really shows his true colors in that episode. He's he like. Says, I'm trying to be a peaceful go-between, but right now you're making me side against my own nation because you're willing to do something so heinous. And yeah, that's why I yeah. I also like that Iroh um, protected the dragons. 
Holmes. I love how he lied about killing them when he didn't actually kill them. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they were so important to him. I love that he has a moment with Toph, and everyone's all surprised when he comes, and Toph is like, oh, this is my friend, and they're like, what? I, 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 I strive to be more like Iroh. He's just yes. so, yes. he's so kind to everybody that he meets. I wish that I had more patience like him with, uh, with Zuko in that regard. I especially love when he reunites with Zuko after Zuko has really, really come to his own and accepted who he is and it's not all about destiny it's about you know doing the right thing and that's when his uh i'm just gonna say it it's his father iro goes up and is like drawing in the sand the fire nation the earth nation the water nation the, uh, the air nation like he's like we are all part of the same whole we can't be hating each other for the rest of time and I, again, I think the show is all about messages. I mean, it, it, at its foremost, it is a children's show at first, you know, with the time slot that it had and everything, and the comedy and everything. It's teaching so many amazing lessons. There's no room for racism. There's no room for classism. We should all love one another. We are all trying to benefit this planet. We are all trying to live a good life. And Iroh is the manifestation of that love for life and that love for everyone. And at every turn, he respects every nation. It's like, I like to think of him as Coulson from the Avengers. He's just this big fanboy of life and everyone. And he looks at the, he looks at the Water Nation and he's inspired by their history and what it's given to the world. And he's just this big nerd. He's this big, tea-loving nerd with a big, beautiful heart. And we can't forget about his huge redemption story. I mean, he is a war criminal. Let's not look past it. He hasn't had a perfect life. He's had a hard upbringing, and so it's easy to think, you know, just forgive him. But he's made some bad decisions in life. And so just like his grandson, or as I like to say, his son, Zuko, they both come. Well, that's nephew. Oh, yeah. Nephew. It's his son. Yeah, but you said grandson. It would have been his nephew. Oh, okay, okay. Dude's old, so I just kind of forget. Regardless, it's his son. And they both have the same kind of arc. They both have done heinous things. They both had a hard life. They both got past it, recognized what's important, and defended what's important. And it's beautiful. And really, the show is about those two characters, in my opinion. Because they have the best arc. They have the best story. And you can say that's subjective. I'm going to disagree. I'm saying they are the main characters. <laughs> really well said, Tim. But uh, Tabitha, who's your second favorite? Also, everybody's favorite uncle, Iroh. Um, just like a couple of things to add on to that because he, I mean, he's like caring, courageous, like wise, bold, like he is so, so many beautiful things and he's so easily lovable and it's so easy to learn from him. And, and from the moment that we saw that he could see like Avatar riding on Roku's dragon to go to the fire temple, he could see into the spirit world and knew that something was going on. We knew that he was going to be 
a very special character. Yeah, I mean, we've already said a lot about why Ira is so great, but like we just watched the, what was Tales the episode? Yeah, Tales of Bossing Say, and we just got done watching his little story. He He's the one who makes me cry the most just because so easy to associate with him and see his heart and knowing the the voice actor's backstory also like adds to the crippling pain of that song but um that he sings in that episode but in general he's just um an amazing man yeah all right william uh what very well said Tabitha, but um william who's your second favorite uh, my second favorite goes to Zuko. I, I mean, yeah, Zuko's always going to land in everyone's top three at least. I feel like, but um, yeah, he he he's my second. A lot's already been said about him, but uh, it, it's not very often that you see believable. Like this is the reason why everyone talks about his redemption arc so much. You can really see his his redemption take place and it's not an overnight thing it is it is very slow and there are times when he backslides and but, yeah. it, but in other uh in other shows and stuff like that where you sometimes they want to keep it episodic and stuff like that and they don't want to change too much so you'll have these character development episodes and then the very next episode you feel like you lost so much character development and there's not the same level of continuity. You don't get that with Zuko. Even when you see that he's maybe snapped back to being a, a little bit uh, more of, of an anger boy, he is still so... You, you get to see little, little glimmers of the character development that he's had as he goes. From every fight that he has with Azula, uh, it, it, he just gets inc incrementally closer and closer to his, his destination uh, every time he encounters Aang after, after, probably after he rescues him from Zhao. I would say every time he meets, he, he sees the Avatar, it's, it's got a slightly different tone. It's, it's like he's getting to know him. It's like, it's like Aang is becoming his friend. Mm, I see. Yeah, no, that's uh, uh, very well said. But uh, Tim, what about you? Uh, who's your uh, second favorite character? My second favorite character was Iroh. Iroh, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, spoiler alert, me too. Yeah, my second favorite. I feel like, yeah, basically uh, all of us, except for um, William, uh, our second favorite character was Iroh. And there's just so much to love about him. Because I know that he's truly first material. Just one thing, one minor issue I have with the show is that you know they keep hinting at Iroh being like you know a war criminal and apparently being a really used to be a really terrible person until his son died and that changed him I do wish that we saw a little bit of that because like it is it does sorry you can in the comic books. There's a lot of prequel stories for a lot of the characters. They really delve into a lot of things. They work directly with uh, Nickelodeon to get a lot of the same artists to work with. And this is very recent, too. Um, very recent comic books that have told more stories. Like, what happened with Azula after she went mad at the end of the show? Like, who is Azula's mom? Who is Azula's 
uh, who is Zuko's mom. Like, all that stuff is touched on beautifully in the comic books. And I really want to mention that so that your viewers will go and read those because if they want more, it's out there. And it's, it's, it's like watching the show again. It, it just, it's a feel good moment. It's a quick little book to pick up. And um, there's so many ways you can get them. You can, you can read them digitally on your phone through, uh, uh, through Amazon. If you have Amazon Prime, some of those are free actually. It's just, really awesome so that that question is actually answered that uh like what iroh was like there are comic books that feature that i i i get you know i get um you know like that there are comic books out there and like companion pieces and stuff but i, I don't know just like i i do wish that it was that there was still it was that like uh, uh seeing a little bit more of like iroh's past or whatever or more of Zuko or Azula's past or whatever was part of the actual show. Like I get that there are companion pieces uh, in the uh, in with these like comic books, graphic novels, and all that. Like like I I get you know I get that. Just I don't know me personally. I just wish that it was more part of the actual show. Like just like a brief moment or two. I don't need a whole arc or subplot or like whole long flashback dedicated to this i just you know i just wanted just maybe like a quick moment or two showing iroh's dark past yeah that would be really cool but you yeah uh, away from like who he is as a character though to just focus on his negative past like that though i don't think so i think an entire episode of just I don't think they wanted to focus too much on war crime. I mean, it's ultimately to show in the midst of war, but they're not showing like grand atrocities and like large scale. I mean, yeah, people are getting basically killed off screen. I mean, Aang totally kills people, but it's, I don't think that that's the direction they wanted for the show. And I, I gotta kind of disagree. I think it'd be an interesting thing for us as adults to see but it's ultimately it's a kid show and they just don't think that's what they wanted Iroh to be for the kids I gotta agree with Tim and also part of why Iroh might have been the way that he was is out of like respect of his grandfather and uh, father you know he's just following their wishes and maybe part of it is like fear of like I don't want to die so you know he's fighting in a war because he's told that he has to fight in a war until something happens and i mean the plot of honor is huge in the show so if they were to bring anything more on with iroh oh snap you've got to watch the next season you mean next the show? next show i can't wait for him to watch the next show oh yeah and I think we, we should also just comment on the fact that uh, Rest in Peace, the voice actor who voiced okay, Iron yeah. I'm so sad that he passed. Yeah, we already commented on it once. Yeah, Rest in Peace, Mako, Mako. Yeah. He also did, he was also, he also voiced the villain in Samurai Jack. Yeah. Hey, that's another commentary I wanted to, to mention. So I, I heard someone else's... Uh, piece on why they thought that Fire Lord Ozai was such a great uh, villain. 
because he's not featured that much. You know, when you're watching Samurai Jack, he's in like almost every episode and it's making him silly and not scary. But in the show, he's hardly featured. And when he is, he mars his son's face and ousts everyone. And then you see him and he's just some mad emperor, almost as mad as his daughter. And I think that makes him a very effective villain. Like, I have always appreciated Joker more than I've ever appreciated Batman because when you have a powerful villain, it makes your hero that much more amazing and heroic because you have a significantly terrifying villain. And I think that Ozai was exactly that. The lack of screen time for Ozai definitely uh, contributed a lot to like making him a more effective villain. Original, I don't know if you guys knew this, but originally, instead of Zuko, the Fire Lord himself was going to be the one chasing down Aang, Katara, Sokka. But then they didn't think that that was real. The writers didn't think that that was realistic, so they were like, "Okay, let's just create a Zuko." And I think that that decision really paid off well. Yes, thank yes. God. I mean, sure. in so many ways, that might have been what took the show from being just any show into a great show. Honestly, absolutely, it would have had such a different feel if the villain, because Zuko's not a villain. So if you had the villain chasing. Uh, Aang, it would, it would carry a, a whole different weight. I but think. the fact that he was a villain, I you know, I'll talk about him in a minute. But the fact that he was a villain, and then a really convincing and good villain, I think, like angsty boy wants his honor back. Okay, and then we see that he is is transitioning away from that, and then that starts to make. Ozai even more terrifying because we see that this guy who is once so motivated by him even starting to kind of fall into a realization that like maybe I don't want to go back because he is awful and all of that is awful. Uh, so Carrie, who is your favorite uh, character from Avatar The Last Airbender? My favorite character it's Azula. Azula, I love a good villain. Like, um, and when I say good, I don't mean like a good person. I mean like <laughs> good, like they're crazy. Like you're afraid of them. They are super powerful. I, I also like that Azula is a female character and she's one of the strongest benders in the show and arguably one of the strongest firebenders in the show. In the uh, she, yeah, she... It's pretty close match with her her father, and um, she's regularly I, throwing lightning without catching it. Like that's yeah. terrifying. And I also like that they made her fire different. Her fire is blue, and I I don't know if this is actually accurate, but I think that's based on the rumor that blue fire is supposed to be hotter. I I don't know how I. No, it's because she's salty. <laughs> yeah, I already talked about it. Really uh, cool. And also, I didn't really see her introduction coming. When she came as a kid, I was surprised. And I was like, oh, I didn't know Zuko had any siblings. And I, in her introduction didn't feel like it was a last minute decision where I've seen other shows where they introduce a sibling of a character. And it just kind of feels like that sibling never existed um 
she doesn't feel that way to me. Also, Azula regularly is tossing lightning like it's no big deal, and no other firebender is doing that. Oh, I'd also have a uh, an honorable mention here. This is not on my list, but um, the dude who can blow people up with his mind. Sparky Boom Boom Man. Yes, Sparky Boom Boom Man. Yeah. That Sparky Boom Boom Man. Yeah. I mean, so I don't think Azula's ever credited with inventing. Um, no, she's certainly not inventing it, but right. I think someone else creating lightning. You see Iroh, like, taking lightning on and then utilizing it, but he is No, but, but even... Even the creation, I, I don't think she's ever credited with like inventing lightning bending as a subcategory of fire bending. But Toph is credited with inventing metal bending. So I think that's why Toph kind of is a little head and shoulders above. But we also, I mean, it's huge whenever we see new applications of bending, whenever you see waterbenders bending vines, whenever you see waterbenders oh, yeah. bending blood. Whenever you see psychic firebenders, or shout out to uh, the next series, psychic waterbenders. So like sandbenders, sandbenders, right? You see healing as a subset of water. Like this is one of the things that I absolutely love about both series. Just the world building is phenomenal. What that? Oh my gosh! That bloodbending episode scarred me as a kid. Oh yeah. So spooky! <laughs> As a kid, I watched it and I was like, what is this? Like, this is so messed up. If they put different music on it, it'd be Honestly. a horror show. Yeah. I never saw that episode as a kid, and I think it's because they rarely aired it. You know the one that I saw over and over and over again is the one where the two tribes two like, don't tribes get along? People. Yeah, the reason for that is because it doesn't have much bearing on the on the story. You don't have to know what's going on. So there's like four or something episodes that they just repeated over and over again for reruns because uh, you could just pick it up and you didn't have to know where you were in the story or anything for it. Right. Yeah, but I didn't see the bloodbending one, luckily, until I was an adult. And I got the series on DVD. Unfortunately, not knowing that they were going to put the entire series on Netflix. Yeah, or whatever. very soon after we bought I, the whole DVD collection. I mean, you'll, you'll have it for the future now. dropped it on Netflix. I mean, they are going to take it off of Netflix at some point in the future. So, I mean, it's not a complete waste of money. That's a dumb idea. Yeah, I think we're going to buy we're gonna buy Legend of Korra, even though it's going to be on Netflix. You're going to buy Legend of Korra? You love it that much, huh? You'll know what I'm talking about after you watch it, okay? <laughs> Just the fact that there's a lot of extras on the DVDs that you can't get anywhere else. Mm. And they're supporting the makers by buying the product. That's a big thing, man. There's so many people pirating movies. We need to buy things from artists. We need to give them a fair wage for the time that they took producing. These yeah, I don't know if they're still receiving royalties from it anymore. The actual artists, so. I think Nickelodeon might, but I don't know if... It's like putting it out in the ether. It's like you're respecting their art by actually buying the product rather than just watching it on YouTube or, or on a streaming service. I just yeah. think it creates this acknowledgement of their work 
that a lot of people aren't doing nowadays. No one's buying DVDs anymore. I completely agree. Yeah, no, I agree uh, with uh, Tim. If you really respect um, someone's work, someone's art, someone's creation, then you should buy it. But uh, uh, Tabitha, who's your favorite character? Aang's equal opposite, Zuko. I think that he is the young to Aang's yin. I think that he makes Aang's arc so much better because we see this beautiful symmetry of these two characters. I think that it makes the show's voice more deep. And again, that's reinforced in like musical cues and in the cinematics of everything and in learn like the very the the time where Zuko and Ango and learn from the dragons how to firebend together like that mm -hmm. whole moment sort of encapsulates I sort I think the two sides of the same story where Zuko is sort of working from this like external motivation for so long and it and finally he turns to this internal motivation and like stops chasing honor and starts understanding his place in the universe is is more deep than that and and Aang is going from this like internal fear and like running away from it for so long until finally he releases himself of that so that he can become the avatar and and fight for these external forces um so i think that that the fact that zuko is there as a foil makes ang's story better but also zuko's story is just like it's very rare that you find a villain <laughs> at the beginning of the story it's unquestionable like we hate the guy like, like he is upset and angsty and trying to hurt our main characters and um he is the villain and then he goes and and swings all the way around into somebody who's so lovable and who's grown and changed so much um so zuko it is i think that he has my favorite story in the whole show he has the best line too that's rough buddy uh, <laughs> yeah. absolutely the best line that's rough buddy uh classic Can we talk about our favorite episodes as well yeah uh definitely but first uh william who's your favorite character uh i'll i'll have the the strength to say what you all couldn't and iroh is the best character <laughs> in all of avatar the last airbender um and that really shouldn't be debatable but <laughs> in case it is i'll i'll go ahead and i'll lay down some some extra things um like if you were if you were to look at this uh through the lens of who they each represent he is so much the the father the one who kind of gives gives wisdom and guidance and helps each of the characters in their own way whether directly or indirectly he has a hand i feel in guiding them toward their maturity and it's really through him that we we get uh so much of our understanding of the spirit world he he does something that um i appreciate so much in just about any show and that is he makes exposition not feel like you're receiving a boring history lesson or something he really 
he he's he can tell you the way that things are and you really get the feeling that it's just a father like imparting to you this is the way the world works like bravo for that i also really love characters who even though they were born into a certain element they have the feel of a different element um it's very clear that iroh is a lot more of a uh, a waterbender than he is a firebender but that's not that's not what he was born into but you can tell he even talks about he how he learned to redirect lightning by studying with waterbenders and um and the way that he respects the spirits and is so spiritually in tune that's also typical of waterbenders and i really like that you get to see um kind of how his personality can impact his uh his understanding of all bending but also just his own and also i guess people who fall into that category shout out to tylee because you know she definitely feels like air but she's grown up in the in, in the fire nation but anyway yeah i uh i definitely understand why you think that iroh's the best character i think that uh, iroh is the most like wholesome character in For the sure. show um but he's just he's just my second favorite on a personal emotional level but tim who's your favorite my favorite is zuko i mean we named our dog zuko for a reason throughout the entirety of the show man he is the most interesting character to me because i've always preferred villains in most circumstances i mean spider-man is my favorite hero of all time aside from jesus christ but <laughs> I like villains, man. I love a good villain. That's what makes the story interesting. But then to take it and completely surprise me and just make him the most lovable character on the show, I can't say more. He is the show to me. It, Aang is just a fun, happy-go-lucky character who's trying to make his way in a new world. He's like Captain America. <laughs> if he's literally frozen in ice and uh it's just trying to understand things and just can't he's like wow things have changed so much i can't accept a lot of this but i've got to because i've got a responsibility to represent something here um but zuko is just far more powerful a character in terms of his arc i've never seen a better arc in storytelling in my 28 years on this planet and that's all i have to say about that so my favorite, yeah, no, that's, uh, I agree completely with everything they just said, and my favorite episode, we'll, we'll all talk about our favorite episodes in a second, but my favorite episode of the series overall is Zuko Alone, and for that episode alone is why Zuko is my favorite character. Just that episode, just, can you imagine, like, can you imagine a cartoon? I mean, well, I mean, there are a lot of cartoons nowadays that are getting a lot older and riskier, like Steven Universe and uh, Infinity Train and uh, whatnot. But like, can you imagine back in like 2004 or whenever Zuko Alone premiered, like seeing that kind of episode from a kids show on a kids network? Like, that must have like really taken a, a lot of people a viewers must have been really taken aback like that like wow this is like so different but interesting can you describe the episode a little bit is that the one with the boy 
where he's it's, training? It's where, it's where Zuko goes to that um, Earth Kingdom village. And yeah, he's... He's riding around on that bird. It's like he's... Yeah. Like, that it's like that boy uh is interested in like his swords and zuko actually like teaches the boy a little bit and then it that has a really it's like intertwined yeah, it depends them from the earth nation bullies yeah yeah and it's intertwined with uh, seeing how uh zuko's mother uh sacrificed herself and was taken away yeah because it really showed zuko like how the world viewed the fire nation away from all of the lives. Yeah. Also, that episode felt very much like a Western, which I thought was cool, yeah. um, because that's just really strange from a children's show, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, the, yeah, it felt very different than the rest of the show, but it, it felt like the show, like, starting with uh, Zuko alone was, for me, when the show really started to go in a more mature and interesting direction yeah i really like that episode too and i like that you also get to see some prejudice in that episode because even when zuko saves that family and he ultimately has to use firebending to do so because he tries to you know hide the fact that he's a firebender once they find out that he's a firebender and that he's the prince they all of a sudden hate him and like even though he saved their lives and that's just built-in prejudice of the Fire Nation and thinking that they are all evil when they're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Idea. Yeah, that's one of the many reasons why I love that episode and why uh, Zuko is my favorite character. All the things that you mentioned before about Zuko, Iroh is amazing. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, William. Zuko is my favorite. My favorite episode is probably the one where they're at the, I mean, gosh, it's so hard to choose, but I really think it's the one where they're in the Northern Water Tribe, and it's two parts, but the, when he becomes one with the ocean spirit, no, that's the Northern Water Tribe, yeah, he becomes one with the ocean spirit, and Princess Yue becomes the moon spirit, and just that whole story, like, that in and of itself is such a really cool storyline. I mean, I also love a lot of the last book. It would be hard for me to choose exactly what, what episode from the last book I would want to be my favorite, but I really love that, that, that two-part episode about... The invasion in the Northern Water Tribe. I, I also really enjoy that episode because um, Katara are. It, it's in that. I don't know if it's the exact same episode, but Katara is fighting this sexism in the Northern Water Tribe, where oh, they won't let women all uh, waterbend, and she wants to change that, and she's actually able to accomplish. It. And I think that's really cool to, that we get to see Katara do that, where they're like, oh, you need to go back with the healers. And she's like, no, nah, man, I'm not doing that. And, and she's like, I, I want to fight. I can fight. And I'm just as good as a waterbender as anybody else. And I also like that it shows us problems with prearranged marriages, because Princess Yue 
liked Sokka, but she wasn't able to be with him because she had a prearranged marriage. And I liked that it kind of showed that culture and that is something that actually still happens today. And it's, it's sad. I actually found that aspect of the final episodes, uh, the Northern Water Tribe episodes, slightly frustrating because uh, the master, waterbending master Paku, he doesn't train um, Katara because, unfortunately, as much as like Katara, you know, does fight for you know her right to you know uh, you know be uh, be uh, trained by Paku and uh, you know be in the more high higher uh, up uh, waterbending classes, but the only reason why Paku agrees to train her is because. She, because he was in love with her grandmother, not because she's able to prove herself. And that's something that does kind of frustrate me. stood up for women everywhere, though. I mean, that's important for kids viewing the show to recognize, regardless of this, you know, made-up character's desire for a woman, and that's why he wanted to allow it to happen. It's the fact that she stood for something and that's important a lot of the show represents standing for something you believe in man. yeah i just i just wish that paku would have agreed to train her on her own ground and not just because oh i was in love with your grandmother it, it would be nice it, it, it's it's a minor it's a minor issue i have again i think the show is basically perfect i just have some minor issues here and there um, like nitpicking, like real, like really just nitpicking. Uh, 